0: As Scott's already alluded to, today we're going to to dive into a part of Corinthians that takes us into a place where we have to face some things, and we have to wrestle with some stuff, and so I'm going to ask a favor of you in the very beginning, and I'm going to ask for grace, because as I move into this, I want you to know my motives, and with which I'm bringing personally to to this topic and this message that we're going to be sharing in today as we open God's Word. And I'm very aware as I walk into certain topics and issues, especially ones that are incredibly relevant and being discussed in all kinds of ways in our culture right now, that it's easy to do harm as much as you do good. I'm very much aware that the surgeon's scalpel The same one that's used to heal can also inflict great damage. And at times in the past, I've said in presentations, I've said in sermons where guys that do what I do, do harm. And I want you to know that's not my motive today, that's not my goal, but I'm going to try to walk into an area that's going to be dicey for some of us, and in fact, if you'll hang with the sermon long enough it's going to be dicey for all of us so how about that everybody's going to be included in in this several um at the middle of 2021 i asked for questions i said we called it can we talk let's talk and we asked for questions on on what do you think we need to be talking about as a church and i received numerous responses back And they kind of fell into three broad categories. The first category is, what's the vision and the direction for our church? Where are we going now that we're we're past the shutdown and things are moving in in a different direction? Where, Where is this church headed? And that's one of the reasons that we rolled out the vision, the vision five that we've, that series that we did at the beginning of this year, and I encourage you, if you haven't participate in those messages yet I want you to go watch those they're available both on YouTube and they're also available on our podcast locate those and take those in that'll be very helpful as we move move forward also there was a, a group of questions that had to do with what I would call doctrinal questions what do we believe about this what do we believe about this and some of our practices and we're going to get to some some of those but that's just kind of a wide category that can put those in. But perhaps either equal to or maybe slightly more than where are we headed as a church, the question of sexuality. The, the question of, of what's a Christian understanding of sexuality supposed to look like uh, just came through in all kinds of different ways. And so we're going to address that. Now, we're not going to get it all completed in one sermon. In fact, you're going to see in just a moment, we're going to tackle three three verses today, and that's it. Um, but this will set us up, so we're going to continue the discussion, because Paul spends some time in this letter, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, addressing this subject. And I really wish he would have taken it a different way first, but then after I began to prepare and study, I see what he was doing, and that's what I'm going to try to present to you, because Paul's going to lay out a foundation and then he's going to get into some practical things. And so we're going to work today on laying out that foundation. But I'm asking you a couple things. One, extend me grace. Because this is not easy. Two, I'm asking if there's something that you want to push back on, that maybe maybe this you, you've got another view of it or something, or you're wondering when's he going to say this. Understand, it's not all going to get done today. So let me get through the next couple of sermons. And then see if it doesn't get touched on there. And the third thing is, again, I want you to know my heart. My heart is to bring hope, not harm today. And so, um, and I think that if we go by the way that Paul does, we're, we're going to get there to, those, to each of those things. So if you have your Bibles, please open, or if you have your Scripture journals, please open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. quick refresher course right before this in this part of the letter Paul has had to address the issue of lawsuits and Christians suing Christians followers of Christ suing one another and now it's going to look like he takes this really strange hard turn like he was sort of spending his time leading up with something else but now he's going to get to some real stuff that's really dramatic but He's going to take, in these next three verses, he's beginning to shift into laying out a framework for what he's going to cover over the next several chapters. And so what I want to do is I want to slow down today. I Originally, when I originally laid out the series, these three verses were just going to be incorporated into an overall single sermon, but once we got into that, I realized that that was not doing justice to what Paul is trying to do here, and so we're going to take just these three verses today, chapter 6, verses 9, 10, and 11, and as I read these, you're going to understand these are some hard verses, and there's all kinds of reasons that they're hard. Sometimes these verses are skipped over entirely because, um, because we don't know what to do with them, Sometimes they're focused on so squarely because of one single sin that's mentioned that we don't handle it properly. And so, chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, if this sounds like strong language, that's because it is strong language. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, he begins in a strong way. And if that doesn't put you back on your heels a little bit, I'm not sure you're paying attention. Do you not know that the unrighteous, if you jump over into the NIV version of it, they translate the wrongdoers, those people that do wrong, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So before we get to some of the more dramatic stuff, we got to realize that what Paul is saying here is he is putting out a warning that says, don't play around with this because the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God. They don't come close. They're not, there's not salvation, there's not heaven for them. However you want to frame that out. And so as you read this, one of your takeaways need to immediately question you need to be asking is wait, 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 wait. So I've got to earn my way to heaven? I, I've got a, it's based on my behavior. I have to behave myself into heaven. and So maybe you've heard the phrase, it's a works righteousness. Which means I'm going to work really hard to make sure that I'm right. And we can't earn our way in. Paul is not promoting a works righteousness here. Paul is not encouraging us to think, if you will just get your act together then you will impress God so much that God will go, come on in. You're a part. And so many of us are living with that idea that we think that it's all based on how I act. And so what Paul's about to do is he's going to go right for that misconception. Because he's about to give us a list. Now, most of us in church world, we love lists because we can check them off. Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Well, let's just see if you can make it through the list that he's about to give. But before I, we go through his list, let me understand what Paul, let me help you understand what Paul's doing. First of all, um, what Paul is about to give is, Paul, remember, he he spent 18 months in Corinth. And we've uncovered, we know where the ancient city of Corinth was, and Paul saw all the sins and the struggles and the challenges that this church would have dealt with. In fact, in a very personal way. Let me show you some of the things we've discovered. This major, large area is called the Agora. That's the marketplace. And in the marketplace, it wasn't just a place where you went and bought stuff. That's true. It was a place for politics and for education and debates and for social groups to come together, as well as to buy your daily needs and rations. Because remember, they didn't have refrigeration and stuff like that, so you're going to places like this to buy your food every day. And you can begin to see how massive it is. I've got an up-close of this building right here, if you want to go here. This is one of the stalls they've reconstructed. This is what it would have looked like in Paul's day, and there there was probably about 16 of these lined up right next to each other, just on one side of this marketplace. And in the ground floor, the door would always be open. The ground floor would have the merchant, his product or his services or whatever it was, and perhaps a loft in the top because this is where they also lived. And so you can see from the big wide shot that we have here, just again, the stall. And so all, just imagine all of this area being a teeming area. And what we know about Paul is Paul was also a... He worked as well as was a preacher, and so his job was tent making, and this was a very mobile society, and in fact, Corinth being a major city, people would come all, from all around the world, one, because of the ship trade that was going through, but also, they had in Corinth, just, just next door to Corinth, they had the games second only to the Olympic Games, and so these festivals and these games would be held in the area, and people would need lodging. And so Paul was a tent maker, and so he would be in this marketplace making tents. There were these leather-type tents that people could come and, and lease from him or buy from him. And so he's making these tents, so he's in this marketplace constantly. And he sees all that you see in a very um, urban marketplace. Where all these ideas, all these religions, all these practices, all these immoralities are being practiced. And so, we're about to see a list. And what I want you to understand the list is, this is not an exhaustive list of Paul. This is not one where, where these are the only sins that he cares about. Nor is the list exclusive. That he says, hey... Here's the nine. These nine things, these are the baddies. These are the worst ones. No, what Paul is giving us is not exhaustive and it's not exclusive. He's just giving us a list that's indicative of the things that he saw occurring in the marketplace and is aware of making their way into the church. As people begin to believe in Jesus habits and struggles and challenges are still following them into the church and they're they're under the notion that I'm not sure I've got to get rid of these yet. I'm not sure that I have to do away with these. So, the list we're going to go through, again, it's not exhaustive, it's not exclusive, but it is indicative. In fact, one of the questions that I have in the in the talk for today is, if you go into our second hour, is what would the list look like if Paul were to make it for our day and for our church right now. Still just as valid a list. Here's what he says. So he goes through the list. I'm going to take these one by one. So if you want to just follow along. Uh, sexually immoral. Uh, this was a general term that's used for, for all sexual sins of all kinds. Porneia is the Greek word that's used here. That's where we get our word pornography. And so what Paul is saying is there's all types of sexual sins going on, and he's given this term that just lumps them all, all together. This involves, um, he's going to run through several sexual sins here, but this just involves anything that's outside the context of, of the marriage relationship. It's lust. It's all these things going together, and Paul sees this. And remember, this is a society where, some of the dominant religions in this town, in this city, as a part of their worship, they employ temple prostitutes as a part of their expression of their worship and practicing that, that religion. And So he sees this going on in the marketplace, and he's addressing it. The next term he comes up is idolaters. Now, n- most of us don't have a temptation to fall down and worship a piece of wood or stone. But idolatry has always been anything that you want to place above or prioritize above God. And when you think of it in that way, we all wrestle with this one, right? We all wrestle with this idea of it's what I'm going to pursue with my money and with my time and with my affections and with my passions. And anything that begins to compete against God for the throne of your heart and your life becomes idolatry. And he's seeing that in Corinth. Next one is this. Adulterers. Any type of sex or sexual sin that comes outside of marriage. In this time, in the first century, the, what constituted marriage and, and what its definition was and what it meant was so radically different. Because remember, in many ways, it seemed like women were just the property. And so for a man to have a wife, that was respectable. For him to have a mistress was no big scandal. That was the way of the world. That was the way of Greek society, which was heavily influenced in Corinth. So anything that's sexual or sexual sin just outside of the marriage bond. Oh, I stepped on the wrong part of the table. Men who, where, where are we? Here's the one that makes the list that gets everybody nervous. Men who practice homosexuality. A little bit of teaching here. Paul uses two words here. Paul uses two words, and so if you read some versions of this list, there's ten things listed. If you read some versions in uh, ESV, NIV, you're going to see nine. Um, what, what the two words he uses, he uses one is, that describes the effeminate or the passive receiver in the homosexual act. And the other is the term used for all forms of homosexual act. When you come to the NIV, if you're comparing translations, NIV, where where it says men who practice homosexuality, I think that's a good translation. I think the NIV is also a good translation that says men who have sex with other men. And what Paul is doing is, is he's looking out at the culture and he's saying, this is no longer acceptable. Part of the temple prostitute worship was male prostitution, and he's addressed it. Now, one thing that I really appreciate about how both the ESV and the the NIV translate is it doesn't, it's not referring to an orientation. It's not referring to those that struggle with same-sex attraction. That's not what's Paul's preaching against. But the practice of. The the engagement in the act of. And that's really important. No, we're going to unpack that some more later, but I, I need to put that kind of thought in right now that this is what Paul's, Paul's getting at right now. Next on the list. Thieves. This idea of taking what is not yours. Now, This is the part where where if you've made it this far through the list, you're like, so far, I'm good. We're starting to get in the part where you're just not good anymore, okay? I hate to break it to you. Have you ever taken anything that's not yours? Check your pins. if you haven't. Paul's saying... And remember, he's looking at a marketplace where either just stealing the products or stealing through, um, uh, through deception is all going on right in front of him. And the church is bringing that inside. And they're trying to figure out what's the guidelines. They're trying to figure out how do you live this life. Next one Paul says is this. It's just the greedy. Now we're getting close to getting everybody, right? Always pursuing to possess more. More money, more success, more claim, more technology, more vehicles, more fill-in-the-blank, whatever you collect. The idea is that there's a driving force in your life and it's never going to be satisfied with what God's given you, you always have to pursue this idea of more. And maybe just a little bit more, then I'll be happy. This one. Drunkards. It's the idea of, are you overdoing alcohol consumption? Are you getting high? Are you abusing your body with... With your intake to where you lose a sense of control? Have you ever done something when you've been drunk that you regretted the next day? Next one says this the revilers. Now I'm going to be honest, I wasn't sure what a reviler was. But NIV is going to translate this as slanderers. This is verbal abuse. This is talking somebody else down, either in their presence or away from it. This is that one that, if you think you've made it through the list this far, this one's got you. Have you ever said anything that you've regretted? Have you ever spoken to a loved one, a spouse, a child, a parent, and things have come out of your mouth in the moment because you are so worked up. And it would, if we put a film on you, put a video on you, and played it back for you, you would go, that's abuse. Th- there's these moments where we seem like we lose control, and this is what Paul's talking about. You, there's a difference now, and that's not us. Then he ends with swindlers. Remember, it's a marketplace that he's looking at. People are coming from all all over the world. They're going from all over the world. And so you've got a lot of disadvantaged folks. You've got the poor. They're disadvantaged through other means. They don't have political leverage. They don't have um, strength. And they're being taken advantage of. And so he's watching even inside the church people take advantage of one another. That's why he goes into all the stuff about the lawsuits and people trying to overcome and overtake one of the other. This is the list that we have, and here's the point. Again, it's not an exhaustive list, but the point that Paul wants us to walk away from is this. Not focus on one or two of them, but realize here's the bad news. You're on the list. None of us makes it all the way through and go, I've got it, I'm fine. And what Paul is saying is, if you've done any of these things, God is out of reach for you. It, you. You've invalidated it. You've taken it away. We do not get to sit in church or anywhere else and go, well, I've got two out of the nine. He's got six. I'm better. I'm closer. That feels good, right? It's like, let's compare our scores. Let's see where we rate. Let's see what our class rank is in spiritual class. Paul's saying, you're on the list. Therefore, you're invalidated. And Paul is telling them, he's, he's doing something powerful. He's giving them a label. He says, let me tell you who you are. But then he uses this very powerful word in the very next sentence he says this in verse 11 it says and such and such were some of you now remember who's the you in this statement it's the church so paul is reminding them this describes you nobody's off the list Everybody's on the list. This describes who you were. But look what he says in the very next sentence. But. Now, if you know anything about that word, you, any time you use the word but, it totally negates what came before it. I could come up and pay you a compliment, say, you look very nice today, but your shoes don't quite match. Now, do you go home from here going... Scott said, I look nice today. Or do you obsess over your shoes matching or not? If you care at all what I think, which maybe you don't. You're like, nice illustration, but we don't care. So, that also proves my point. So he says, this is you, but Jesus steps in and does something. But you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god now i want you to highlight and circle those because there's where the hope comes in this message so if you would just like we walked through those let me walk through these really quick with you but you were washed washed means you were made clean you ever been prepping to go someplace? And maybe you've been out in the yard working and you're sweaty and you're filthy and you're grimy and you've got you know the dirt and the mud and whatever else all over you. And where you're going is a nice place, and you realize that I can't get in looking like this. I I I don't qualify to be present in that. You know, I can't show up at the wedding. I can't show up at the very fancy restaurant. Looking like this. But you've been made clean. Not that you washed yourself, but that Jesus has done something in your life. And through, and this is where the baptism imagery comes through very clear. You were washed and made clean. Now you can enter. Second thing he does, second word I want you to circle. You were sanctified. That's a big word we use in church all the time. It means you were set apart for a purpose. God took you from where you were and by His power, not yours, not your good works, not your effort, but has set you apart and made you different for a purpose of bringing Jesus into the world. And the last one is justified. Justify is put into a right relationship. You ever do some word processing and you justify the margins or you justify it means you line up all up on the left or you line up all up on the right or you center it right in the middle. You're put in all the words and then put into a right relationship with each other, a right relationship with the space on the page, a right relationship with the edge of the sheet of paper. This is to put into a right relationship with one another, and with God. And notice, the verbs all belong to God, all belong to Jesus, not to you. This is what God has done on our behalf through the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, in many ways, He gives us new labels. See, we had an old set of labels, idolater, swindler, drunkard, adulterer. We had, we had an old set of labels, and labels are very powerful things. If you've ever been given a nickname that you didn't want, you know how powerful labels are, right? Because the nickname just sticks around. You know, I've shared with you before for the longest time, my first youth group, my nickname became Oscar Meyer because I was creatively thought it was a great off my last name and if you're not familiar, there's a baloney out there of which I get no proceeds from that shares the last name, and it stuck and some of you had labels applied to you much worse than than that. Several years ago, I came across a teaching done by a communicator and preacher that I really, really appreciate. His name's Andy Stanley, and he was preaching to 2,000 middle school students. And he started talking about labels that they wear. And you can imagine, if you can remember, either you're in that part of life, you can remember back to that part of life, how critical the names that we were called and the labels that we wore, how critical that was. And I thought this was just so powerful. And he asked a very important question as he went through all the different labels that people, you know, could put on, whether they're successful or whether an athlete or they're a nerd or a geek or a smart person or whatever, all these different labels he was going through. He stu- he stopped in the middle and said, said, Who has the right to put a label on you? And there's three answers to that that he came up with. He said, the manufacturer has the right to label you know anytime you've got some clothes on you know it's got a label on it the manufacturer made that the owner has the right to put labels on the person that owns that product it would not be appropriate for me to take a label machine come over to your house and start labeling things because i don't own the stuff and the last one he said was the purchaser somebody that pays the price for the item. Can you see where this is going? And so he stops and he asks him again, he says, who has the right to label you? Only the one who created you, the one who owns you, and the one that paid the price to redeem you. And so I want to have two takeaways from today's message. Then we'll wrap up. Takeaway number one is this. Don't be labeled by past sin. Paul says you were this, not you are. He says you are the, these things now. You're justified. You're sanctified. You're washed. Second one's this. Don't be labeled by current sin struggle. Some of you are wrestling with a temptation and a sin struggle and you're experiencing some defeat and some losses in it and you're, you want to take that on as a label and I'm going to tell you that the evil one wants you to take that on as a label. Because if you start wearing that label, you start becoming that. And it's a difficult struggle that you're in and I understand that. But I'm encouraging you don't adopt the label that comes from it. Because we should not label ourselves as followers of Jesus. He gets to do that. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. Here's your new labels. You're clean. After clean, you're chosen. And after chosen, you're righteous. You're clean. You're chosen, and you're righteous. How important is that to be chosen? You're set apart for something. God chose you to be on his team. What a powerful deal, and you're righteous. Jesus is in the business of redeeming labels and changing. He's always been doing this. Saul became Paul. Saul persecuted the church. Paul preached and proclaimed Christ after he had an encounter, and Jesus changed the label. Simon becomes Peter, and Jesus looks at him and says, I'm giving you a new label. You're a rock, and on you I'm going to build this church, and your faith is going to go throughout history. And then he comes to somebody, to a woman that's been bleeding for years, and that makes her unclean. And she knows that's her label, and he gives her a whole new label. It says, you're clean and you're worthy. And he looks at the blind and says, you have a new label, and it's sight. And he looks at people that are crippled, And they're laying on mats. He says, I'm giving you a new label. You're a runner now. And then probably perhaps one of the most dramatic ones of all, he approaches the grave of a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus has two labels, dead and stinks. And Jesus says, come out. You're alive. Aren't you grateful that Jesus gives us? new labels. If we were any other kind of church, you'd be in this right now. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you changed the labels because we're on the list. Thank you for redeeming us, washing us, sanctifying us and putting us into a right relationship with you. Father, I pray for all those that have a past sin in their life and they've let it define them and find their identity there that we would say no more. And for anyone in a current struggle right now, Father, we acknowledge that the struggle is real, but so are you and your power to provide victory in that struggle. Let us wear the label that comes from your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.